I love stories like Roma's because they do um, remind, of, remind us what um, Kensington is doing, not only here in Traverse City, but around um, through our campuses. And so um, if you are considering a year-end gift, we'd love for you to consider Kensington to be a part of that. Um, your giving goes to so much more than just what you see here on a weekend in Traverse City. It goes to building wells in Africa. It goes to rescuing um, women and children from trafficking in India. We have so many global partners. It goes to groups, young adults, all of these things um, that are made possible by um, gifts and contributions from people like you. So we thank you um, for your consideration in that. Um, Like Greg said earlier, we are starting a brand new series today. Um, We just wrapped up one last week, and we are starting a new one called Questions Jesus Asked. And by the context of that, you can probably guess, we're going to be looking at a few different questions that Jesus had and Jesus asked other people around him and how those questions, when we look at them and when we examine them, can shape our lives. But before we do that, I wanted to ask you a question to kind of start things off today. Now this one may be, I don't know, I don't, think, I don't know how we'll react to it, but uh, just show of hands. Raise your hand if you've ever encountered anyone at any point that had a different opinion than you. Oh, okay. So good. We're all on the same page. All right. We've all been there. We've all encountered somebody that had a different opinion than yours. And now I want you to think about this. And how did that make you feel? How did that make you feel when someone maybe didn't think the way you thought, did what you thought they should do, raised their kids how you raised your kids? How did it make you feel inside? Don't answer it. Just keep that buried inside uh, because we all know. It probably, if you're honest, made you feel like a little angry probably. Whenever there's someone who's like, I don't understand how they could live their life and not realize that this is how it should be. We probably all felt like that. Maybe you sit here today. Maybe you're sitting next to someone like that. Like you married that person who doesn't agree with you on how, you know, you should put toilet paper in the roll. Like you don't agree. You don't see eye to eye on those things. And so it makes us feel angry sometimes. It makes us maybe, maybe have you even thought that person is like less than you. Like these people who put the toilet paper on this, they don't understand the complexities of my mind. Like they don't understand how smart I am, how brilliant I am. They're just over here, right? Like most of us probably, like, yeah, when we encounter someone that doesn't have the same opinion, we begin to think of them as less than. And so what I want us to do today, it's going to be like a little planet fitness in here, a judgment-free zone for a second. What I'm going to do is I'm going to put a hot take on the board. A hot take is a piece of commentary whose primary purpose is to attract attention. So what I'm going to put on here is hopefully something that's going to get a reaction out of you either one way or the other. So we're going to kind of see how you land with some of these things. And so the first one, it was funny, I was talking to two people after service, and they were really tied up on this. A hot dog is not a sandwich. Raise your hand if you agree with that context right there. Because it has bread, it has meat, you hold it in your hands, it's a sandwich, right? How many of you think it is a sandwich? Anyone with me? But then someone brought up the point, like, well, then what do you do with a taco? Is a taco a sandwich? And I'm like, you really, like, considered all the options here, didn't you? Uh, So we got a hot dog is not a sandwich. How about this one? This one's controversial, I think. Mariah Carey's Christmas songs are pretty good. They're pretty good. Like, you hear those sleigh bells at Kohl's, and you're like, I love Anyone agree? Okay, anyone disagree? Okay, so pretty pretty fair down the line, Mariah Carey fans in here. Now, this one, I actually had, like, somebody audibly say no in the last service. So, uh, LeBron James is the greatest basketball player of all time. I, I'm kind of in that I agree camp right there. My thing is what I eat. No, I'm not going to get into my sports takes. We'll take all day. Uh, so, LeBron James is the greatest NBA player. How about this one? This one is, like, actually a friction point for me and my wife. So, like, I'm opening up my life to you right here. All right? So, we can all just take a deep breath. We're all here. Brushing your teeth in the shower is acceptable behavior. (laughs) 
In my opinion, a toothbrush should never be in that close of proximity with head and shoulders, okay? It's just not a recipe for good things. But how many of you agree that this is acceptable behavior? All right, we're going to kindly ask you to lead. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but here's the deal. All of these things right here, we all have an opinion on them, hopefully. Because opinions, if we're really honest, opinions are how we think the rest of the world should think, right? Like we all carry an opinion in our minds of how the rest of the world should think. It can go from little things to big things. And we agree and we think these things very strongly about our opinions, don't we? Like we're very vocal about how we feel about things. And it's really, really fun. Like if you have something you love to just talk about how much you love something, right? Like it's so much fun to love something and have an opinion. But you know what's even more fun? hating something, right? Like how many of you, like, be honest, they get like a little sick joy out of it, like you're just hating something. Maybe it's like a restaurant, like you go have a bad experience somewhere and you're like, I'm going to go write a Yelp review. Like it's going to be really, I'm going to type on all capitals. Like you get really into hating things. Like hating things is fun sometimes, right? Like if we're really honest and you have to think about that because what hating does is hating causes us to feel like we have power. Like I am so much better than this. Like Because I don't like this, it makes me here. And anybody who likes whatever this is, you feel like, well, they just don't understand. They don't understand what happens up here. They don't understand how, like, intricate my thought process is and why I have an opinion on this. Like, we all have that. And so sometimes it can go from things like movies to restaurants to people that you work with, maybe family members. We have opinions and we have feelings, and we assume that everyone should think like we should think. And at the end of the day, everybody is making judgment calls. Every day we make judgment calls. And when we judge movies and sports and people and hot dogs or whatever it is, whenever we judge those things, it's kind of nice because if we're really honest, nobody really gets hurt. Like it's just our opinion. It's just our opinion about certain things. But where it begins to get messy and where it begins to get a little complicated and actually even problematic is when we take this judging thing take our opinion thing, and we begin to apply it to people. You see, my first year in college, I played football at a small college down in Missouri, and there was a guy who was on my team, and the first time I met him, he was a six-foot-five lineman. His hair was all messy like a lineman's hair should be. He was all big. He wore these, like, beat-up Wrangler jeans and, like, the same Denver Broncos T-shirt. And this guy wore that outfit for, like, five days straight. And I was beginning to wonder, like, does this guy have anything else? And I'm kind of looking at him like, well, he doesn't look like he's the brightest. Maybe this is just his thing. Maybe, maybe he came from a family that doesn't have a lot, and he's here on scholarship, and this is just his look. And so I began to, like, make little judgments in my head about this guy. And a couple of weeks later, I actually got to sit down and get to know this guy. And I was like, hey, man, you know, once again, I'm looking at him. His hair is all messy. He's all, you know, paint on his Bronco shirt, weird jeans. And I go, hey, man, like, what's your major going to be? Like, what are you going to school for? And he looks at me and goes, engineering. Okay, I didn't strike me as the engineer, but okay, whatever, that works for you. And I go, cool, like, tell me about your family. What do you, what do your parents do? And he goes, oh, my dad's an engineer as well. And I go, like, what, is, what does he do? He goes, he designs sports arenas. And I go, like, like, small little arenas, like a baseball field. And he goes, like, Yankee Stadium. And I go, oh. And all of a sudden he goes, yeah, and like, he kind of designed every arena in the state of Colorado. And I'm like, oh. And I go, so, like, are you, like, rich? He goes, well, we have a, yes, yeah, so we're fine. And I'm like, oh, like, and I put all these things together. But it was so strange for me because when I first met him, I made these quick judgments. I made these snap judgments. And what the reality was, 
was not who he, I thought he was. And I'm sure if I went around to every person in here, maybe, I would hope, some of you could say honestly, yeah, I judged somebody once and I was wrong. And we've all made a wrong judgment call about somebody or something. And if we do some self-reflection, we can admit that. We can admit that we've all judged someone at some point. But if you have to sit here and you go, okay, what's the big deal? Is there really a big deal about judging? What's the, because after all, they did look that way. I'm not entirely wrong. They didn't make a bad choice. They aren't raising their kids how I would raise it. Is it really that bad for me to think less of them or judge them for how they're doing things? And like I said, the problem is judging someone doesn't have anything to do whether our judgment was justified or not. The problem is usually when we judge someone, we end up hurting them more than we help them. Maybe you're sitting here going, like, well, I just want them to know that if they did this instead, their lives would look so much better. If they just fixed this part of their life, it would be so much easier. But that's not really helping. Oftentimes, it's actually hurting. And I'm pretty sure if I were to go around to every person in here and you were to think about it for a second, you can maybe remember a time where maybe somebody was trying to help you, but you really felt judged. You felt like, man, they don't get me. What they said, that actually, maybe some of you have carried that around in your back pocket for years. Because you're like, I don't think I got judged fairly. Or maybe some of you are sitting here going like, whoa, maybe I did judge somebody this week. Maybe I did rush to judge someone I know. And so now we're sitting here going, man, did I hurt somebody? How does this go? Because what judging is able to do is judging starts here, but when we move from judging, you can actually do some other things. And whether you know it or not, we can move from judging to a few different things. The first thing we can do is we can move from judging someone to excluding someone. You know, maybe you have that family in your neighborhood where you're like, well, I'm not going to let my kids go over there. Maybe you have someone in your life who you're like, well, we're just not going to invite them over on you know, Thursday nights anymore. Well, maybe you have someone in your life who you're like, well, let's just not call them when we go to the beach in the summer. Like, let's just do that. It's like a simple thing, but we move from judging to excluding. Or maybe you've had the conversations with people where it maybe was from judging to embarrassing them. Maybe you have a conversation with somebody at work and your whole motivation is instead of goes from, man, I don't like how they do things to, man, look how dumb they are. Can you believe that this person would do that? And we begin to try to embarrass people. Maybe some of you have taken it so far where you're like, because of what they believe, I'm willing to cut off a friendship with them because they don't line up where I line up. And like I said, we can take this whole idea of judging and it can move to actual hurt and hurting them. And you see, the problem when we rush to judgment and the problem that happens in our lives is that we don't know the full story. We can't know everything that people are going through. You have a story, I have a story, and every one of our stories is unique. You see, people are precious. And when we miss their full story, and when we rush to judge, what we can actually do is we can begin to push people away from what they truly need. And you see, there's a book that I've been reading. It's called Unchristian. And it actually talks about the reason why churches are getting smaller, young adults are leaving, and people are fed up with faith. And one of the main reasons why they leave 
is because they feel that Christians and those who follow Christ are too judgmental. And so they leave the church. They leave the faith. And you see, this isn't a thought that's new. The great philosopher Gandhi says it like this. He says, I like your Christ. I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. That right there, that unsettled me this week. That quote right there going, is that how people really believe? Is that what people really think? Is that how the world sees us? Are we really getting this as people who call themselves followers of Christ? And if you don't, this doesn't include you. Are we really getting it this wrong? And you see, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to dive in to conversations that Jesus had, and more specifically, questions he asked. And you see, the crazy thing is, if we get this judgmental thing wrong, if we get this wrong, what we begin to do is, like I said, we begin to push people away from the purposes God has for them. And they begin to get a view of Christ that is not like anything we read in the scriptures. And you see, what Jesus does is he takes this idea of judgment and he lays it out and he lays it out and he's talking to a group of people and what he says is so profound because what he does first is he levels the playing field and he takes this idea of judgment and how people are supposed to handle judgment and he's really crystal clear with it. And if we follow it, our lives will look drastically different. But we have to choose what we want to do. And it starts off like this. Jesus is like, how can I make this any clearer? And so he starts off in Matthew 1, verse 2, or Matthew 7, verse 1. And he says, do not judge. That's pretty blunt, right? Like, that's a statement right there. And the thing is, Jesus is saying, like, listen, don't do it. Like, this whole thing of, like, you think you're better than, you think you're less than, don't do it. He goes, do not judge. Now, there could be a period right there, but there's not. You English majors in here, people who went to school for English and like this stuff, would notice that the next thing that comes is a comma, which if you know anything about the language means there's something else coming. And so Jesus starts off and he says, do not judge, comma, or you too will be judged. And so Jesus says, listen, here's the deal. If you're going to judge somebody, know that it's also, you're going to be judged too. And then Jesus takes it one step farther. He goes, okay, you don't like that? Like, okay, I ju- don't judge, or you two will be judged. Now check this out. He says, indeed, you will be judged by the very standards to which you hold other people. Ooh, that hits. <laughs> that hits. And the, what Jesus is pretty much saying is he's saying, judge unto others as you would have them judge you. And so that leads us to another question. This is more maybe of an unsettling question for you. And the question I want to ask us today is, how do you want to be judged? Let's put the shoe on our foot for a second. How do you want to be judged? Because I know if I were being judged, I would want people to know the whole story of my life. I would want them to know all the things that happened that caused me to live my life in a certain way so that if you had any questions about what I was doing or why I was doing it, I could say, no, it is justified because of this. And so we have to ask ourselves, how do we want to be judged? Like, I'm looking at this going like, well, I have mistakes. I messed up. I'm not perfect. But there was a reason, right? Like, I can justify it. Like, it was okay because of this. And if I had a really question, like, how do I want to be judged? Like, how about never? 
Like, is that okay? Is that an acceptable answer? Like, I don't want to be judged. But Jesus paints such a clear picture of what this looks like. He says it plain and simple. He says, listen, first off, don't judge. But if you choose to judge, remember that you are going to be held to the same standards other people are held to. I mean, the truth is, we all have a definition of what we think is right. We all have a way that we think we should live our lives. And Jesus is like, listen, if you judge other people, you're going to be held to this standard. And when people fail to meet our expectations, even if they're rooted in God or even if they're rooted in good nature, we begin to think of people who don't meet our expectations as less than us. Like they don't raise their kids how I do. They don't work like I work. They don't have, they don't live this, they do that. And because they do that, they are less than Because if we're willing to admit it or not, what I believe is that judging is our desire to be better than someone else. And the way we wave our fingers, the way we do this, maybe it's subconscious, maybe we don't know. Our desire is that we want to be better than someone else. And so when we do that, we judge others. We begin to find flaws. We begin to say, well, look at how they do this. Aren't you glad I don't do that? Look at how they live. Aren't you glad I don't live like this? You see, we begin to prop ourselves up, and one thing that we begin to do is we begin to rank other people's sins or mistakes as worse than our own. We begin to look at it and go, well, since they did this, you know, that's obviously worse than what I'm doing, so, like, I'm better than them, right? Like, we do that maybe subconsciously, maybe we do it on purpose, but I believe that we all have a tendency to do that. And what I believe Jesus is trying to show us today is Jesus wants us to remember that no one is better than him someone else. In fact, I would say it like this. We are not better than. We are all broken. Every person in this room, no matter what you're bringing, no matter what life you've had growing up, all of us have mistakes. All of us have pieces of our lives that are broken. And if we all have that, we're not better than anyone else. The way I live my life isn't better than the way you live your life. We're all broken. And you see, Jesus levels the playing field by saying, indeed, if you judge others, you're going to be held to the same standards. And then he continues on to an example that I love because it's so ridiculous. It's so ridiculously outrageous to look at what he says and then try to like justify it in our lives. He says it like this. He says, why is it that you see dust in your brother or sister's eye, but you can't see what's in your own eye? Don't ignore the wooden plank in your eye Well, you criticize the speck of sawdust in your brother's eyelashes. Like, he's got a sense of humor here. Like, I don't know if you read the Bible and laugh sometimes, but I'm like, this is funny. Like, this is really good. Because what Jesus is doing is he's essentially saying this. He goes, listen, why are you concerned about the piece of sawdust in this guy's eye when you're sitting here with this? Like, it's ridiculously funny looking to me. But it's like, why are you doing this? And I think we do this for a couple of reasons. I think a couple of reasons is by looking at somebody else's sawdust in their eye, we kind of forget that we have this sucker right here. Like we can kind of forget, like, oh yeah, look at how bad they are. Don't worry about that. Look at how bad they are. It distracts us. It's like, no, we can look at that. Draw your attention over there. And sometimes I think whether we admit it or not, we just don't notice the sucker. We don't notice the plank. But how could we miss this thing? How could we miss it right here? Walking around with this, like Jesus is illustrating a point that is hilarious to me. He's pretty much saying like, we all have stuff, 
We all have sin. We all have messed up. But, like, there's something going on here. And I love this because, like, if you were to put it, like, now, it would be like me sitting here going, like, okay, uh, hey, you over there. Uh, uh, yeah, you're, you're behaving immorally, uh, but just disregard my jealousy over here. Like, this ain't jealousy. What are you looking at? You got, you're immoral. It's like, no, wait a second. It's like, hey, stay, wait a second. Uh, listen, you have a really short temper. I got cutting words, but like your short temper is way worse than my cutting words, right? And like, I just don't ignore. Or hey, uh, listen, you are really deceitful. And I'm sitting here going like, but I'm not going to deal with this pride that I have. Like it's ridiculous when you think about it. But Jesus is saying we all do this. We all sit here and we look at the sawdust in someone else's eye without fully acknowledging we have a plank in our face. How do we do this? I think it's because we have a problem looking outward. We have a problem, or we, <laughs> we have no problem looking outward. Our problem is we struggle to look inward. It's really easy to look at somebody else and say, you should have, shame on you, bad you, wag our fingers. But I think what we really struggle with is looking inward, looking at ourselves first, dealing with that big wooden thing in our face. We struggle to deal with that. Because we're so concerned with other people's dust. And you see, the thing I love about Jesus is the type of leader he was. The type of way he led. Even if you're here today and you don't call yourself a follower of Christ, you can still appreciate the type of leader Jesus was. Because Jesus did something very unique. What he did is he laid out a map for us to follow. And if we follow this thing, I bet our lives would look extremely different. And it's found in John 1, verse 14. This is kind of the basis of how he sets up his life. He says, the word became flesh. Jesus, the word, became flesh. And he made his dwelling among us. We have seen the glory, the glory from one and only son who came from the father. Now check this out. It says he came from his father, full of grace and truth. There's two things here. Full of grace and also full of truth. You see, a lot of us like to focus on one or the other sometimes. We like to either be like, all oh, the truth, like, you're doing it wrong, forget you, you need to fix this, all of this stuff. And maybe some of us here are like, it's going to be okay, like, we're so on the grace side. What Jesus did is he balanced both of them. And what happens when you balance both is it does something like this. Grace says a couple of different things. Grace says something like, you are forgiven, which is true. If we've made mistakes, Jesus offers himself as forgiveness for our sins. You are forgiven. That's the grace part. Now there's truth. You're also accountable. When you make mistakes and when we sin and when we break laws, there are consequences for those things. We're forgiven, but we're also accountable. There has to be something there. Grace says you're fine. Like It's going to be okay. You're fine. Don't worry about it. It's just you. But truth says, hey, we're all broken. You're broken too. Grace says, you're going to be okay. Don't worry, everything's fine. You're going to be okay. But the truth also says, we need to fix some things. And you need to fix that. Grace also says, I love you no matter what. But then truth says, please change as well. There can be love 
but there also has to be change. And so the way Jesus lays this thing out and the way Jesus models this so well is he gives us something called truth and grace. And in the past, we've used this kind of matrix as a way to look at how Jesus encouraged us to live. And maybe some of you today, you can apply this matrix and this principle to how you raise your family, to how you interact with people at work, to how you lead your businesses. This is a thing that I believe translates not only through the scriptures, but into our personal lives today. And the way this works is there's grace and truth on an axis here. There's a way that we can give a truth and grace. And now when we fail to give either, when we fail to not give grace and not give anybody any sort of truth like over there, what we can give people is a sense of feeling unloved. These kind of got a little crazy on me there. We can leave people feeling unloved when we don't give them any grace, but we also don't provide them any sort of truth. And so it's kind of like saying, hey man, you crashed your car and that's that's that. <laughs> like you're not saying, like, hey, you probably shouldn't do that. You're not saying it's okay. You're just kind of leaving it hanging there. That can make people feel unloved. Now you can do the other thing where you offer no grace, but all truth. And this is where people begin to feel judged. When you sit there and you say, well, you're doing this wrong. You're living your life like this. It's wrong. And you offer no grace. People can feel judged. They can say, why are they telling me my life's like this? What are they trying to get to me? And the other thing that we can do now is if we begin to give grace, but no truth, what we begin can do is something called enabled. We can enable people by not giving them the truth. Saying like, oh, no, if you drink, you know, 50 cans of Mountain Dew, you're going to be fine. Like, it's going to be okay. Like, there's not going to grow a third arm out of your ear. Like, it's going to be fine. You can enable. Or we can choose the last option, which is what Jesus chose to do, where he offers a lot of grace, but in all of his interactions, he was never afraid to give truth. And when we give grace and we give truth, people can begin to feel loved. You see, this is what Jesus models. This is the area where Jesus, in three and a half years on earth, he modeled this so well. And as we begin to look at one story, as we kind of wrap up today, he balances this idea of truth and grace so well. You see, a woman was caught in the middle of sin. She was doing something she shouldn't have been doing, and a group of religious leaders caught her. And so they bring her to Jesus, and they have this whole plan of what's going to happen, but Jesus does something that's so amazing so profound, and also gives us an example to follow. And it starts like this. It says, in the law, Moses commanded us to kill such a woman who made this mistake by throwing stones at them. Now, what do you say? And so these religious leaders are trying to get Jesus. They're saying, listen, we already know what should happen. We know that she broke a law. We know there's a consequence for that. What do you think? They already have an idea of what's right. They have an expectation of what Jesus should do. But Jesus pauses. He takes a moment and pauses. And the story continues. And it says, but Jesus bent down and started writing on the ground with his finger. They kept asking him questions. So he stood up and said to them, this is what's profound. He says, has any one of you not sinned? Then you be the first one to throw a stone at her. So what Jesus does here is he goes, listen, 
if what you want is right, if what you think, if you're judging her and you think this is how it should be carried out, uh, go ahead, carry it out. But make sure no one here has made a mistake. Make sure nobody in this room has failed. And so what Jesus is doing again is he's saying, listen, if you're going to judge others, you're going to be judged by the same standard. And he goes, listen, you be the one to throw the first stone at her, but make sure you have nothing going on there. And then the story continues. It says, those who heard what he said began to go away. They left one at a time, the older ones first. Soon only Jesus was left. The woman was still standing there. And for a moment, I put myself in this woman's shoes. What is she going through? What has the last five minutes of her life looked like? Where she thought she was condemned. She thought she was going to die. And all of a sudden, this Jesus guy comes. And he says something so profound. He says something so powerful. He makes all of these religious leaders walk away. And then what Jesus does is simply amazing. He says this. Jesus stood up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Hasn't anyone found you guilty? No one, sir. And then Jesus says something that maximizes this truth and grace thing so well. He says this. He says, then I don't find you guilty either. Go now and leave your life of sin. You see, what he does here is he says, I don't find you guilty. That is grace. That is undeserved grace. That is undeserved. She should have had a penalty. If the law said this thing, Jesus comes to her and says, I don't find you guilty. Now there's also a truth. He says, now leave your life of sin. He goes, what you were doing wasn't right. What you were doing is not how you should be living. But I have forgiven you. Your sin is still sin. But guess what? I'm going to pay for it. It's going to fall on me. It's going to come to me. That is what grace is from Jesus. He knows that this woman has sinned, but he doesn't care. He says, guess what? Sin is still sin, but I'm going to pay for it. He offers that to you and I too. He says, listen, there are mistakes. There are things that you have done in your life, and that is one thing. But I am here to give you grace. I am here to give you forgiveness for when you drop the ball. You see, Jesus models this so perfectly. He gives us an example to follow. And so how do we do it? What does this mean for us? You see, I want to end today with talking to two different groups of people. The first group I want to talk to is everybody in this room. Whether you call yourself a follower of Christ or not. I believe and I think that if we apply this principle to our lives and the way that Jesus taught it can revolutionize your family, your workplace, and your own relationships with others. And with the way we can do this, the way we can move away from judgment, is we can do this in three steps. I believe it's hard, but we can do it. The first thing we have to do is that we have to remember that we are not perfect. You're not perfect. I know, news alert, you're not perfect. Neither am I. No one in this room is perfect. And so when we look at other people and they're not meeting our expectations of how life should go and how they should be living their life, we have to remind ourselves that they're not perfect, but also guess what? We're not perfect. The second thing we have to do is we can't rank 
sins. We can't say this person's sin is worse than this. Their sin is worse than mine. Because of that, I'm above them. That's not what it's about. That's never what it's about. And the third thing we have to do is when we find ourselves in a moment where maybe we're looking to judge someone, maybe we had that feeling coming up, what we have to do is what those religious leaders did too. They had the rock in their hands and they dropped it. They had to walk away. And instead of throwing judgment at somebody, what we have to begin to do is to learn how to extend grace, how to extend forgiveness, how to extend humility when the thing that's happening over here that we can't stand about somebody is driving us nuts. We gotta drop the rock because we're not perfect. No one's sin is greater than our own. We have to choose humility. And you see, that's the first group of people I want to talk to. The second group is those who call yourself Christ followers, including myself. Because it's so easy for us to look at the world around us and go, man, they're not getting it. They're not doing things the way we should do. I can't believe they're living like this. I felt like that. Maybe here you have. And if you're not a Christ follower, what I want to do is invite you to take a step back. Because this verse and these moments don't apply to you. And I want to say if you are somebody who is not following Christ, that I want to apologize if we as a church have ever offended you, if you've ever felt judged unfairly. Because what Paul writes to us as Christ followers, I believe is crystal clear. And what we choose to do with it as Christ followers is on us. And he says this. He says, why would I ever attempt to judge those outside the church? Aren't we called to judge those within the church? And so what Paul is saying, and what Paul's sobering message to us who follow Christ is, there may be people who are not believing what we believe. There may be people who don't live to our standards or our expectations of what they should be. And he says, it's not our job to judge those people. Our job is to judge those with truth and grace who are following Christ. To point them back to the person who loves them. Because the truth is, we can't hold someone accountable if they've never agreed to our standard. We can't sit here and go, well, they need to remember that this is how they have to live. Paul says that's not what we're here for. That's not what our job is to do. Because the good news, the good news is that Jesus loves us and forgives us. And the good news is not, it is not to point at someone's flaws and tell them they need Jesus. That's not good news. That's not what we're here to do. The good news is pointing someone to Jesus who loves them despite the fact that they may have flaws. That's what the good news is. That's what our job, our job is to point someone to Jesus. Not for us to point at someone and say, you are missing the mark. You are messing up. You don't get it. Especially as followers of Christ, we have to get this right. Because if we don't get this right, we end up pushing people away from the one thing we all need. Jesus. And you see, Jesus came and he erased the sin problem from those of us who call him, those of us who call ourselves followers, he erased the sin from our lives. And what we have to do 
is we can look at the sin around us. We can look at the darkness in the world. We can look at the way people are living. And instead of judging them, what we can do is we can have our heart break. We can have our heart break for someone. Because you know that there's somebody who loves them. And you want them to feel the same love that you have found. And the truth is, if someone's sin doesn't break your heart, what we have to begin doing is we have to ask ourselves a question. Has our own sinful heart been broken? Can we acknowledge that we have mistakes? And maybe if we're not ready to do this part yet, we have to start here. Maybe some of us for the first time have to acknowledge that our lives and our hearts can be broken and we can have separation. You see, if we all did this, if we all took a moment to drop the rock, if we all took a moment to hold off on our judgment of others, what we could begin to do is we could avoid stories like we're about to hear parts of. We're going to look at a few stories here in a video about people as a part of our Kensington community across our campuses who have felt judged. And the way they felt judged, I hope it breaks your heart. You'll hear the story of a woman named Suda who sits in services just like this and she looks around for other people to laugh, to know when she's supposed to laugh because she's not familiar with this whole church thing. You can look at a story of a guy named Eddie, who I know personally, who was accused of being in a gang and being a neo-Nazi just for how he looked. You can hear the story of Jenna, who was born deaf and then got a device that could help her hear, but now feels judged by everybody. You can hear the story of Angelina, who has a thick accent, and when she's at work, receives calls from people asking her, can I speak to someone who really speaks English? You can hear the story of Madison, who walked into her first year engineering class and heard the professor go, who invited Barbie? Or you could hear the story of Libby, who is a teen mom, who she feels her teachers and her friends and her family now reject. You see, if we got this part right, if we got this truth and grace, and we got this part that we're all broken right, we could avoid stories like this. I made some mistakes, but point to the person who hasn't. I bet when I walk away, you say all sorts of stuff about me. Some of it may be true, but I bet a lot of what you say isn't. I try not to get upset by being judged or criticized, but it's hurtful. Do you even know the hurts from my past? Whatever I've done in my life so far, whether right or wrong. There is probably a reason. How would you know? Maybe I just need to be loved. No matter what you say. You're bankrupt without love. Love doesn't give up. 
Love cares more for others than self.